0: You know, some mornings you get up and you feel good. Some mornings you get up and you don't feel good. And the wonderful thing is God never changes. And your, your security never, never wavers because it's, it's in Christ. And the Lord can never be more pleased with, with Jesus than uh, He was and is and always will be. So that's a wonderful thing. Psalm 12 is a psalm of David. Let's read it and then we'll talk about it and pray. Does help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. Now David turns to prayer. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. Words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the the sons of men. This is called a corporate lament. So it's a song for Israel in difficult circumstances. So here's God's people. In the midst of a world looking at the world around them, persecuting them, saying evil things about them, doing evil things. That's the first two verses. I'm just looking around, help, Lord, and that's a that's a great way to start prayer. Help, Lord. Um, the Lord knows exactly what you need, and why is He asking for help? Because the godly man ceases and the faithful disappear. And you look at history, even. America, Israel, wherever it is, there are periods of time when when the Lord is reigning in the hearts of people, and therefore that's affecting culture and families and everyone around. It's a wonderful time. Um, I'm going on vacation this weekend, and family vacation, which we do every year, and every year I take a biography, and so I'm narrowing down my list this week of which one to, to take, and uh there's a, there's an unknown guy, guy at least unknown to me, uh, that was part of the the the, uh, the great awakening. I'm considering there's a period of time like periods of time like the great awakening when when the Lord just seems to, to move in sovereign ways and um, you know houses of ill repute shut down, righteousness righteousness reigns in government and those and then there are other times. When it just looks like the you know the wheels are falling off of of everything, you might feel that way when you look around at the culture. Or took on turn on the TV, and what do you do? Well, you say, "Help, Lord!" Um, look at what else he does, though. What are they doing? Um, verses two and three. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double tongue. You can't believe anything they say. They're not only speaking, not only lying to one another. Um, But they're lying about the people of God, slandering the people of God, saying false things about the Lord and and his people. Um, And boy, there's just that going on today, isn't there? May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. um, The tongue that speaks great things. Verse 4, who have said with our tongue, we will prevail. So it turns from lying to pride. And so David now is praying. Um, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Thumping their chest. Who is God? There is no God. Come on. Verse 5, because of the devastation of the afflicted. Now here is the is evidence that they're actually affecting people, taking things away. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, the Lord answers. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety, in the safety for which he longs. The Lord will answer prayer. And then David praises God. The words of the Lord are pure words. The Bible is true regardless of what culture says or what it looks like around us. This book is trustworthy. It's like silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. It's been proven over and over and over. You realize how many thousands of years... Wicked human beings, lying human beings have been trying to destroy the Bible. Here we are in 2023, sitting here at 6.15 in the morning, um, reading that book. Uh, It's unique because it's the living Word of God. It's pure, and it's been proven. It's been tried in the furnace on the earth. So it's indestructible. It's changing lives. It, It has changed lives. It's been refined seven times, meaning it's gone through testing and it's always come out pure. You, O oh Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation. The, the hope that we have is not in man but in the Lord. And he ends with the situation really hasn't changed. All this is future. You will, Lord. You will keep them. You will preserve them. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted amongst the sons of men wicked are strutting about even today so let's pray father i do thank you for your word it brings peace and comfort it reminds us of truth reminds us of things yet to come even when we look around us and we see evil reigning Um, that won't always be the case they won't rain for long, and uh, we thank you, Lord, that your word is a trustworthy anchor for our souls, and it's been proven over and over um, in our own hearts and own lives personally, but, but corporately you have preserved your church, you preserved Israel before then, you, you are a good God, and one day you'll return, um, all lying lips will cease then. We, we want to be faithful um, as your remnant. We want to be faithful as your church. We want to be men of God. And so teach us this morning, even as we, we learn and look. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in study one, page one. And we're talking about developing courageous churchmen. So there's grace and there's granite. It takes the grace of God. We're not just here... You know, doing some uh, you know man exercise. We need the grace of God. We are fallen. Our minds are warped. Apart from the Bible, we can't think right. Our bodies are failing. Um, some of you feel that more than than others. And what I mean, some of you are younger than us, and so you still uh, feel good physically. And uh, the rest of us are saying. Um, your day's coming. Uh, and, and in the meantime, though, we're reminded, uh, even in our youth, our strength runs out, we get sick, we're reminded our bodies are, are, are broken. And obviously our hearts need to be changed by, by, the, by the grace of God. So we need grace. Um, but that grace can turn us into granite. We don't need to be weak men. We don't need to be men that are dependent upon our flesh uh, and upon other things, the Lord can strengthen us. So that's why we're here, to develop and drive home some foundational convictions. So how do you do that? Well, you need to develop uh, some foundational convictions in your lives. These are convictions that help uh, give us courage to stand on the truth and vigorously apply it to, to our lives. Long before you begin to, to apply it out there and tell everybody else what to do complain about what everybody else is doing, you've got to apply it to your own heart. If you really want to be effective in the world for Christ, then, then, then you need to put it in here first. And in here you become strong and then the Lord begins to use you. Um, where do you get strength? Where, does that, where, do, where, do, you, where do you find uh, those, those, those convictions? Well, through a commitment to the church the bride of Christ. We're we're not spiritual lone rangers. God didn't save you to go out there and do stuff on your own. He saved you to be part of the body, uh, and then He will build His church, and the church is the pillar and ground of uh, of truth. And so we're working through these foundational convictions, and we got through a uh, part of one about having a having a working biblical literacy. But I want you to turn to Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 3, because I mentioned to you last time that your homework could be, among other things, look up these verses, or at least some of them. And so the first one on the list here is 2 Peter, which actually is a Bible passage that describes exactly what I just said. Developing foundational convictions. Um, And here it is, this process In 2 Peter 1, look if you would, at verse 3. So Paul starts with his normal, I'm sorry, Peter starts with his normal um, salutation. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And verse 3. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these He has granted to us precious and magnificent promises, and the result, so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, they're in you, and increasing, you're growing in them, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful and the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the most terrifying thoughts is to come to the end of your life and realize you wasted it. I mean, even unbelievers have hope, hope of a better day, I'll change tomorrow. Um, little orphan Annie, I always say this, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. There's, there's, there, there's this, we're, we're hardwired by God to, to hope. The worst thing about hell is there's hopelessness. There, there is no way to change your condition, and it's forever and ever and ever. It's, it's a horrible concept. Hopelessness and regret. You'll be conscious there. You go, and um, you'll remember the opportunities that you had not to be there, and you'll never get out. It's hopelessness. We're, we're hardwired for hope. And, and hope is that it will get better. Uh, or in our case, you come to the end of your life and you look back on it, of course you're going to have regrets. Of course you are. You're human. You're, you're, you're sinful. You're going to think, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done more. I would have, wish I would have sacrificed more, given more, suffered more, all of those things. But as a believer, you can come to the end of your life and say, like the Apostle Paul, I've, I've finished my course, um, and now there's something laid up for me. Uh, reward for that, which you're going to cast back at the Lord's feet. You're going to say, "Hey, it wasn't me; it was you." But, but, but there is that 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 statement that you you hear at funerals all the time of believers, which the Apostle Paul, you know, I finished my course, which means that you have a course to run. You, you know, Psalm 139 says the Lord has written your days in His book, all that He's ordained for you. How many do you have? I have no idea. How many ever you do have, you want, to, you want them to count for Christ. You don't want to, how many ever there are, they're ticking every day. You don't want to come to the end of that and, and, and say, I've wasted them. Um, I've done nothing for the Lord. Well, how do you keep from getting in that, in that situation? Well, Peter tells us right here. He says, if you do what he says in this, in this passage, verse 8, if these qualities are yours... And increasing, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful. I don't want to be useless to the Lord, and I don't want to be unfruitful. So here is the answer to not end up at the end of your life and, 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 and have regret for, for wasting it. You'll be useful to the Lord, and you'll be fruitful to the Lord, if you want to just turn that around. If these qualities are in you, and they're increasing. So this is not a, you know, I got my growth shot and I'm I'm done. It, it's I'm I'm taking these qualities in and I'm growing in these qualities. They're increasing in in my in my life. Well, what are these qualities? Well, look at verse 5. For this very reason also, I apply all diligence. So there's your part. What what reason also? Well, now you've got to back up even even further, and you'll all back all the way up to verse 3. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us something, and we're calling it grace and granted. So I already, already talked about grace. It's His divine power that you're here. You're not here because you decided to, you know, to be a better man. You may have made that thought and conscious choice to be here. Surely you did. You didn't just... You know, come here some mysterious way. But it was the grace of God that planted that thought in your heart and moved you to be here. That's what the Lord does. How does He do that? I have no idea. He's God. He overworks all things. But it's His divine power that would grant to you anything. What has He granted to us as, as Christians? He's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, what does that mean? Well, the first thing I would key in on uh, is the first word, everything. Is there anything that, that, that God says that you lack as a believer, based on that word? Absolutely nothing that you need that would keep you from, from coming to the end of your life and being fruitless and unuseful to the Lord, based on that verse. His grace, His divine power has provided to us as believers everything but then it's qualified, isn't it, pertaining to life and godliness. You say, ah, well, there's the catch. I get everything, but it's only in these two categories. But what are these two categories? What is life and godliness? You get everything from the Lord pertaining to life and godliness. You know what life means? Eternal life. God's given you His divine power as a Christian. Has given you everything pertaining to eternal life and godliness, is life on the earth. A a godly life is life pleasing to the Lord. So everything that you need to make it to heaven, to the end, and everything you need while you're on the earth, the Lord's provided through His divine power. So now you're back to everything. His divine power has has provided us everything, totally sufficient, pertaining to eternal life and living for the Lord until we get to heaven. Godliness. A life that's pleasing to, to the Lord. Everything is provided you know, by Him. And look at this. Where did it come from? What, what's the source of it? Through the true knowledge. How, how did His divine power? Where does His divine power come from that gives us everything to live the life now and, and get us to heaven, not based on our strength, but His? It comes through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and excellence. It's through the true knowledge of Him. I don't know what your translations say, but that word true is put into English to try to communicate what this word knowledge means. It's not a superficial knowledge. It's you want to know God. Do you want to know God? Not just about God. Not just stuff that helps you get out of the trouble that you're in. Do Do you want to know Jesus Christ? I mean, not just in he he gets me to heaven and forgives my sin. Do you want to know him? You want to you want to you want to you want to understand who he is. Take him into your heart and light. You want to walk with him in the cool of the day. You want to spend time with him. You want him to talk to you. You want to talk to him. You want to know him. That's what this word means. It comes everything that you need to live a godly life, a life pleasing to the Lord, and everything you need to make it to heaven to the end, which the Lord is doing. Promise to complete the work, comes through knowing Him. It comes through a true knowledge of Him, which means that you're walking with Him and you're learning Him. And He called us. Every time that word's used in the Bible, it's the Lord's effectual call. The Lord called us to Himself. Here I was going through life, and all of a sudden I woke up one morning and said, you know what, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to leave my sin and I'm going to follow Him. Is that what happened? I'm going as hard and as fast as I can in the opposite direction, away from God. And the Lord calls me to Himself. The Lord grabs a hold of me and says, Hey, I want you. I want you to serve me. Where did that come from? Who called us by His own glory and excellence. He drew us, this idea of God drawing us to Himself, He draws us by His own glory and excellence. His beauties, His greatness, His purity, His gospel. He he, he draws us by His own glory and excellence. And for by these, He's granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Part of the glory and excellence that draws us to Christ is whenever the Lord holds out to us His precious and magnificent promises. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He who began a good work and you will perform it un- until the day. The promises of God um, that, that will not fail. You see the glory and the excellency of that. say, say I, I have to have that. I want that. This, this is the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Uh, the pearl of great price. You go through the field, you find the greatest treasure that there ever was that you didn't even know was there. Jesus Christ. And you say, nothing else matters. I don't care about anything else. I've got to have that. I'm being drawn by him, and that drawing points me to what is actually valuable in life, and I, I have to have it. Nothing else matters but knowing him. And these promises result in becoming partakers of the divine nature. He actually changes you. You say, well, I can never live the Christian life. I've tried to live the Christian life before. Um, and that's the problem. You've tried to live the Christian life before. He has to do something in you. This is John 3 and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Jesus, you must be, we, we know that you're a man from God. Nobody can do the things that you do, say the things that you say, unless there's something divine about you. You're a prophet. And Jesus says to him, doesn't even answer his question, doesn't even say, yeah, you're right, but you got it wrong. He just goes right at it. He says, "You know, Nicodemus, uh, except a man be born from above, except a man get a divine nature granted by God alone, be born from above." We say "born again." True, you have to be born again, but the word literally is "you have to be born from above," meaning God is the one who grants the new birth, and you're not going to You're not going to get in the kingdom. What do you mean, Nicodemus says? I mean. Crawl back in my mother's womb. I mean, born again, born from above. I'm here. I'm alive. What do you mean? And Jesus says, it's the wrong kind of birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You're right. You had a birth. You had a physical birth. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And then he goes on to say, it's like the wind. You can't see the effects of the wind, but... I mean, so you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. The wind blows wherever it wishes. The spirit that gives this birth, you can't control him. You can't package him up in some, you know, prayer or altar call or anything. The spirit does the work. He does the work through, through through the gospel, but he blows wherever he wishes. Now, you can't see the wind. But you can see the effects of the wind, can't you? You can't see some pixie dust falling, falling from the sky. There wasn't fireworks that went off. Uh, whenever you came to Christ, when your eyes were open, you were blind. But now you see. Whoa, I see it. I get it. I hate what I was. Now I love what I need to be. I mean, there was nothing that happened. But you can, you can't see the wind moving and working in your heart. But there are effects of it, aren't there? What are the effects? Well, I, I hate my sin. I confess. I turn. I now want Christ. Um, I do have new desires. I'm now spiritually alive. I have a hunger for the Word. I want to do these things. But before, the Bible? Whew, boring. Why would, I want, why would I want to go to church? Why would I want to get up at 6 in the morning and sit with a bunch of guys talking about Jesus? Well, Because you got a new heart. You're now spiritually alive. Did you have anything to do with your physical birth? You, were, you weren't even there at that point. Mom and dad had something to do with your physical birth. You didn't, and you don't have anything to do with your spiritual birth either. So work of the Spirit of God. That's what, that's what John is, is, or Jesus is saying to Nicodemus there, and there are effects of that. But now after his divine power has granted something to you, after he's drawn you to himself by his glories and excellence through the promises that are there, And you've become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world. Verse 5, now for this very reason also, because God's done that in you and for you and to you, now here's your part. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and moral excellence knowledge. And your knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and your perseverance godliness and your godliness brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness love. Because God saved you and done all of these things and you have a resource that's inexhaustible and that same thing can transform other people. If you hold out the glory and the excellence of Christ through the promises, the precious promises of, of God, God can do that same thing to somebody else who's walking hard and fast in the opposite direction. Because of all those things, you apply all diligence. Well, I'm just going to get up in the morning and I'm going to open my Bible and, and I'm going to read that verse. Maybe it's a good day. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm going to read two verses. And I'm going to say, dear Lord, help me today to to live a good life, pleasing to you, and protect me. You know, watch over Susie, my wife. Amen. And then I don't think about God or talk talk to God or anything else until maybe I go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. And when I go to Chick-fil-A, I bow my head and say, you know, dear Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. And then I go through the rest of the day. I come home, I watch TV and... You know, don't ever really think about it, go to bed and I get up and I do that same thing the next morning. I read my two verses and and I, and I pray. Now if that's where you're at in the beginning, that's wonderful, but you better not stay there. That's not what applying all diligence means. Applying all diligence means you work to the point of exhaustion. That's what this word means. It means you strive, you you labor. Why? Because God's at work in you. He's giving you the desires, he's empowering you to, to do that. And, and based on His divine grace, based on His work in you and these promises, then you pursue Him. Which again, you're not going to want to do that unless He changes your heart. But now you have a desire. He's given you that desire and He's just basically saying run after that desire. Fulfill it. Don't squelch it. Apply effort to your faith. And you're applying effort. What's the first thing that He tells you to pursue? Moral excellence. Moral excellence. So you're now, you're now applying effort. And that effort is moral excellence. Um, it means a, a changed life. Your life your life is, uh, is um, distinct. It's different. It can come out in a lot of different ways. Um, MacArthur's note says it was used for heroic deeds. It doesn't mean that here. Um, but it means that you live a life that stands out, a life that's different. And that's not really hard if you're a true Christian in the world today to stand out. But it does take guts and courage strength to do that, not to listen to the dirty jokes or whatever else it is at work or do what they do. Or if you come from a background like I did, not to go back out on Monday night football and drink beer like you used to, and I'm not going to do that, you know. Oh, come on. Why? What? I mean, mean, does the Bible say you can't drink a beer? Come on. Come out with the boys. Wouldn't be a good place for me to be. It takes guts. It takes something in you. And then obviously it grows beyond that. Self-control. I'm sorry, knowledge. For moral excellence, you want to grow in understanding, which is what we were talking about last week, where you have a working biblical literacy. You understand the Bible. You want to grow in the Bible. You want to know who God is. So a changed life, you're cutting off bad things, you're adding good things, and then you want to grow in knowledge. start reading the Bible. I didn't know the difference between the Old and the New Testament when I came to Christ. Um, But when I came to Christ, the Bible, the first Bible that I got, you could tell I've been in it. I didn't understand everything was in it, but I read it and I underlined it. And we had a little bathroom that was off our master bedroom, master bedroom, twelve by twelve room, a little side bathroom that had a commode in it. And these were the old days where they, where you used to put you know those those fuzzy uh, fuzzy things that on the thing and the fuzzy thing on top of the toilet lid. Remember that in Grandma's house, probably, some of you? you know that was a, That's a wonderful cushion for me to be able to put my head and pray. That's where I went. I didn't have any place else. And I turned the exhaust fan on so I couldn't hear anything else going on in the house, so I wouldn't be distracted. And that was my prayer altar. That's where I prayed. And I would sit in the floor in there and read my Bible and then put my head on that puke green fuzzy commode lid and seek the Lord. And from knowledge, that turns into self-control. Well, the next thing you know, I'm growing in knowledge as I'm growing in knowledge after the Lord gave me new desires and there's a changed life and growing in knowledge, knowing Him, now, now I'm controlling myself. Before, I had no self-control. I mean, I can't, just can't help it. And now the Lord gives you the ability to help it. The word means to hold yourself in. could mean in other ways. You may have a natural self-control in certain areas. You may not be tempted about certain things. You know, and you look at somebody else, and I don't understand why, you know, I mean, if I want to lose five pounds, I just stop eating. And maybe you can do that. No problem. You don't have any problem with that. But your life is an absolute trash dump in another area. You have no self-control whatsoever in what you look at. The Lord gives you self-control. It's, it's Him. He, he, he gives you the ability to rein all that in. That's what you're doing. You're cinching all that up as you're growing in, growing in knowledge. And then that self-control grows. And that turns into perseverance. You, you patiently endure doing what's right. You persevere. You don't just do it one day. You do it two days. And then three. And then four. And then the next thing you know, you've done it a week and a month and then two months and then a really long time to where you haven't done it because perseverance comes from the, the self-control. And, and then that turns into godliness. What is godliness? Oh, he's a really godly guy. What do, what do we mean when we say that? Well, what the Bible means, godliness is a life-pleasing to God. There's, he's godly. He, 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 there's, there's, there's God-like qualities in him. Things that please God, things that are like God, things that mimic the Bible, they're, they're in him. He's, he's a, he lives a godly life. You've received everything pertaining to life, eternal life, and godliness. Everything that you need to live a godly life, a life pleasing to the Lord, a life that, that, that shows others God and is pleasing to Him. And in your godliness brotherly kindness and your brotherly kindness love. You know what I find odd about this list? The hard stuff's at the end. And <laughs> You say, wait a minute, changed life, uh, growing, self-control, I mean, that's the hard part, persevering, you know, doing it consistently, a life pleasing to God, and then brotherly kindness and love. You see, there are sins, there are things that we think are this is this this is the big stuff. I don't I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't run with girls that do smoke, drink, chew. Don't. If you're in West Virginia, some of them actually do chew there. I don't look at what I'm not supposed to. I come to church. I do you know these things. We have these surface sins. These are and I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a good Christian. But your heart's full of jealousy and envy and covetousness and anger and all those things and you. Is it Jerry Bridges that wrote his book, Respectable Sins? They're sins that we respect. We say, well, they're, they're not the bad ones. You realize bitterness will destroy your life in the same level pornography will? I mean, there's, there are sins. And here he's talking about the opposite, brotherly kindness. It's a commitment to the brotherhood, to one another, friendship, loyal kind of, of, of commitment to each other. You're committed to the church, and you're committed to other brothers, and love, which is 1 Corinthians 13. And if you ever think you're, you, you know, you're all that in a box of chocolates, just go read 1 Corinthians 13 and see how you're doing, applying the love of Christ to yourself and your relationships and, and, and others. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours... You possess them, and they're increasing. One of the greatest verses of encouragement to me, should be to you, to me as a pastor, is in 1 Timothy where Paul tells Timothy, you know the passage that says, let no man look down on your youth, despise your youth, but be an example in these things. In that same passage, Paul says to Timothy, let your progress be evident before all. Now, why do I love that verse? Because it says, "Let your progress be evident before all before the church. You're progressing, which means that I haven't arrived. What, what, what Paul told Timothy for a pastor to do is to progress, to grow publicly. There's, there's not an expectation of perfection. There's direction. You're moving in that direction. And he says the same thing here. For if these qualities are yours, if you possess them in small amounts and then they increase over your life, which they will, that would be normal, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted. You're living your life in blindness. What are you short sighted about? Well, he tells us. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former, former sins. You know what that says? A person who does not apply themselves to this, to pursuing God on a daily basis, has forgotten what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. That's it says. You become blind and short sighted. One of the men that uh, was, was a mentor in my in my life, he was one of the only guys in West Virginia that was doing, even even remotely doing exposition, was a man named Glenn Matthews, the old revivalist. I mean, you know, the guy that comes around in the spring and the fall and preaches the two-week meetings, then it was one week and you know, then it was a weekend, you know, think, times change, things change. He'd lament about all that. I think he actually came here for my... Um, uh, ordination, not ordination, uh, installation service. And I remember he got, I mean, wow, he's probably 90 now. I, would, I, mean, I remember hearing him preaching in his 70s, saying, you know, I'm so old now, I don't care what anybody thinks. I just say it like it is. One of the only guys that was was doing exposition around, and he would he would preach. And he told a story one time, I've never forgotten it. He said at the end of a revival meeting, he was there at the same church the year before. And this young lady, 20s, had come to Christ. And, you know, she came forward, coughed up all kinds of sins, alligators, just horrible life. And then she turned to the Lord, and now he's back the next year for the next revival meeting. And he's preaching. And at the end, you know, five verses, just as I am, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, the stuff you probably grew up with. Altar call time, and here she comes. And she comes down the aisle, down at the altar, weeping, just uncontrollably, praying. And he said, I was still leading. I'm thinking, so sad. I mean, I remember when she came to the Lord last year. I wonder what, what happened, what sin you know was going on in her life. She probably stumbled again, probably weak. I'm thinking of all of these things. So the song leader takes over, and after, he gets down beside her, and he's talking to her, and tears in her eyes. He says, you know, what's wrong, Susie? She said, Brother Glenn, I've been, been walking with the Lord for a year. I'm just afraid that I'm getting used to being saved. No big sin in her life. In her mind, the big sin was that she was forgetting what Christ had done for her and the coldness was becoming in her heart. I'm afraid I'm getting used to being saved. Are you used to being saved? <laughs> we should never be used to being saved. I mean, we were plucked from the muck and the mire of our sin and put on the rock of Jesus Christ, cleansed, washed clean. I don't mean by that that you're going to live every day. You live in a world that we just read about, with liars and horrible things around you. But if you find, my point to that is if you find your heart getting cold, and it's consistently cold, not that you just woke up not feeling well, but it's consistently cold you're losing your desire for the Bible, you're losing your desires for church, you're losing, it's consistently cold, then look to find out why. Is there sin that's crept into your life? And if it's not sin, is it because you're not pursuing these these means here to be useful and fruitful? Are you really pursuing Him to know Him? Because... Knowing the Lord just gets better and better and and better. And you realize one day you're going to look upon him face to face. What is that going to be like? I have no idea what that's going to be like. I'm guessing um, what I'm going to be doing is probably not looking on him first. I'm probably going to be on my face, worshiping. And he's probably going to have to do to me what the angel does to John in Revelation, saying, it's okay. And then, never-ending period of time of service to him, worshiping him, living in the new kingdom, the new heavens, and the new earth. Um, what a day that will be. Well, that's what this whole study is, is based on, the foundational convictions. And um, I'm not going to talk about any more of them. I think that's the message the Lord had. Let me pray. And we'll turn you loose. Father, I thank you that you have granted to us, through your divine power, not our own strength, our own wills, but through your divine power, everything that we need for eternal life until we get to heaven and all through heaven, and everything that we need to live a godly life. And I pray even this morning, there's a man in here who's struggling to do things by his own strength and his own power. I pray that you would you'd help him give up and turn to Christ, Christian or not. That's where it starts. I pray for anybody, Father, in here that may be looking counterfeits or other things to try to fix their problems whenever you're the one who grants us everything. Your word is sufficient. That's where the answers are at. And I pray for any man in here that that may be pursuing you with a superficial knowledge. um, Not a deep one. Not one with the same effort that he puts toward his hobby. We spend a lot of time, Lord, a lot of effort for things that don't matter. Nothing wrong with them. But if we're spending so much time learning to play golf or hunting or disc golf or whatever it might be and giving you five minutes of a morning, there's a problem. May we have a desire to know you. And Lord, may you hold out your excellence, your precious promises. It's the goodness of the Lord, the kindness that leads us to repentance. You're, You're not a God that calls us to come up hither. You are a God who comes to us and puts himself on display. May you show us Christ. And, Lord, if there's anyone in here that's never been changed, never been made a partaker of the divine nature, I I pray that you would cause them to be born again and there would be an evident change. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would put forth that that labor that's there to be men, men of God, and add these qualities to our lives that we wouldn't come to the end of it. And... uh, I regret for a wasted one. Lord, keep us from getting used to being saved. Give us a new hunger and a new desire, even today. Watch over us as we go in work and all the different places that we, and may you get the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.